All right, Romans 11, 11 through 16. So I ask, do they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespasses, trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. But if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I am speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous, and thus save some, for some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life for the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. These are the words of God. So the big picture here and what I desire you to hear is that Jesus is for all kinds of people. Salvation has not been saved for a certain ethnicity, race, gender, or culture, but that in Jesus, we have full inclusion to the family of God. So in Church and Square Liturgy fashion, I want to break this idea into three big movements or parts or contextual highlights that by God's grace exposes our hearts and minds to be more like Jesus today. So we'll talk about the beauty of inclusion. We'll talk about the challenge of inclusion. We'll talk about the meaning of inclusion. Let me pray and ask for God's help. He knows I need it. Heavenly Father, as we prepare our hearts to hear uh, these words, God, um, I pray, Lord, um, that you give us ears to hear, um, you give us eyes to see, Lord, um, to see you fully, Lord, not to see me or this church, but God, just see Jesus. God, let this text do a work in our hearts that we're not even clear and not even know what it is. God, we love you. We need you. Amen. So I've been thinking and discerning over this text and really looking at how Paul is writing this letter to both ethnic Jews and non-Jewish or Gentiles. I can't stop noticing how this relevant, how relevant the juxtaposition is for the minds and body here today and in our church. If you've been here at all over the past few months, you'll recognize this. Say, two-way mirror that Paul continues to expose and disciple the Jewish and Gentile folks alike. On one side of the mirror, you have the Jewish people. Or in our body, we would be maybe the more religious-minded. These folks have been in church for a while. They know the setting throughout their upbringing, whether that be another denomination or some kind of culturally imprinted version of Jesus that we might call religion. On the other side of this mirror, we have Gentiles, which would likely have, been, which would likely have dominated Rome at the time. So in today's context, a modern person that did not have any religion imprinted on them or grow up that way, they tend to take the way of the world much more naturally. They don't have a heritage of religious experience to pull from. Both sides of the mirror are not inherently sinful or destructive. You're not wrong if you grew up in the church. You're not wrong if you didn't grow up in the church. But you're not absolutely right either. So today I want to make clear that we actually need each other to find fullness in Christ Jesus. We need both sides. I believe Paul knew this very, very much. Paul, a Jewish leader, called to command, called and commanded to literally tell the entire Gentile world in the first century about Jesus being the Messiah. Paul understood that without the religious folks, we can't see or even fathom to fully understand the nature of God. And without the modern folks, we remain blinded to the entirety of God's people and simply miss the beauty of what God our Father has created. 
And of course, God knew this too, which just reminds me, of course, how feeble-minded I actually am. See, I fall into the modern minor person much, much easier than I do the religious person. I do have to confess, I still get pretty uncomfortable with any church or religious tradition or ritual. It just makes me feel icky. For, one, for example, one day at the end of a sermon a few years ago, we were called to sing the doxology, which is, which is just fine. Nothing wrong with that. And folks stood up, they started that monotone hymn that you all may know, and we all started singing, praise God, from whom all blessings flow, praise him, all creatures here below, praise him above, ye heavenly hosts, praise Father, Son, Holy Ghost, amen, amen, amen. I promised my wife I wouldn't sing that, so I read it. This made me feel like an outsider, like I didn't belong, or like I didn't know enough about the Christian Bible. I was excluded from this worship, or maybe even not worthy enough to be included. See, a baseline is a white male, this feeling is actually incredibly rare in our modern society. I don't bear any real visible differences that make people question me for no reason or assume I can't do X, Y, or Z. See, this privilege that I have in my whiteness and maleness removes me from a whole world of exclusion. Yet, as those around me sang the doxology, I had a moment of feeling of separation from my people. Now, please don't hear this as seeking pity, but as a representation of how I've experienced exclusion in a very, very simple way. Do hear this. This experience is rubbish compared to what women, brothers and sisters of color, immigrants, LGBTQI, or trans folks may experience daily across our city, country, and world. I'm not sorry I'm a male or white, but I know I need God to expose my heart to the realities of this age, the realities of this day, and the realities of this moment in God's creation. So stand back in front of whichever mirror you see yourself in and hear how Paul is exposing a godly view, excuse me, to see yourself and hear how God is exposing what a godly view of inclusion actually is. He is saying, dear Jewish family or religious person, look in the mirror with me. You need the Gentiles to experience the fullness of God's grace. Dear Gentile or modern person, you need the Jewish people to experience the riches of God's faithfulness. So with that framework in mind, let's step into the first movement, the beauty of inclusion. The beauty of inclusion, let's first look to verse 11. He reads, so I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means, rather their trespass Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. What is so great here and what I love about Paul is he quickly repeats himself from 10 verses ago. So Romans 1.1 quickly says, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. We should be quick to listen and eager to hear any time we hear the Bible repeat itself and discern a repetitive theme or verse in the Bible as we cannot miss this instruction. Paul tells his fellow Jews again that though they may be stumbling, though they may be struggling to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, they still did not fall. Does this stumble need to lead to death? Paul says by no means. The Jewish people's trespass, or as Paul writes, their rejection means the reconciliation of the world. The God who carried them, the Jewish people, faithfully through exile, faithfully through famine, faithfully through despair, and persecution has given way for the rest of the world to be welcomed into salvation by grace. We're talking about countless souls throughout 
time that have been included into the family of God. This is really good news and screams about inclusivity of our God. The beauty of God's family is that it's not a single people group. And the grace abounds in Jesus Christ today, right now. And without birthright or blood or ancestry, I hear you, buddy. I hear you. I hear you. And without birthright or blood or ancestry, we can come to the table and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord of our life and confess humbly with repentance, we can be saved in an instant by the same God who faithfully shepherded his people before Jesus walked this earth. Don't miss this. And this may be hard to hear for some. The beauty of a God that offers himself through his son by grace to an entirely different people, race, mindset, and culture is not exclusion, but radically inclusive. This gives way to different races, societies, and ways of life to the people of God so they or we can see God more fully. We can more tangibly experience God. We can more faithfully know the character of God himself so that more human souls will come to faith and live out God's command. Which Paul writes very clearly in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. It reveals so much more about the nature of God. He shows no partiality and he actually is using his people's stories their experiences and their heritage to show his own nature. Does this make sense? Without a God's people, the Jews of the Old Testament, the Jews of the New Testament, without God's people, the Jews of the Old Testament, the Jews of the New Testament would be lacking in fullness of God who actually, fullness of who God actually is. Here lies the beauty of inclusion for all people and the door being kicked in on the evil one and where we can push back the darkness of this age, salvation through Christ Jesus is here for all. Let's move into the challenge of inclusion. And where we need this mere metaphor to remove ourself, remove our upbringing, the current disposition of our heart, and look into the mirror to understand where our human minds begin at baseline. Are you tracking with me yet? So as a religious thinker, I need to lay down my head knowledge of the law to see grace not as a monument or golden calf, but as an exchange of obedience. Thank you, Juan. As a modern thinker or having, to pull, or having a pull towards the current age or current thinking, I need to lay down that pull towards this do-you culture and push back the darkness with biblical truths that aren't rooted in self and individuality. Paul and his incredibly unique disposition as of both having a second-to-none faith, excuse me, a second-to-none understanding of the law and truth is also the one called to deliver the truth of grace to the world. Paul's personhood gives us something unique in that he holds tension so wonderfully with concise truth, as well as affectionate and familial lot or gross of grace. Church, I don't think we're wired this way. I don't think we're wired to be this way as humans. It is so human to pick sides. 
But what Paul in his personhood makes so vividly clear is that the only side is Jesus, which means we are always on either side because we're talking about humans, people, complexity, and nuances we can't fully understand or fully grasp on our own. In verse 13, Paul says, Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, and as much then as I am apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from dead? Here's the challenge. Regardless of which side of the mirror you're looking into, because on one side it sounds like exclusion, on the other side it sounds like everyone's in, period. But what is Paul actually saying to start? He's not saying Jewish people you have fallen and salvation is out of reach or are condemned. We know this because many Jewish leaders and priests at the time had come to faith in Jesus and likely would have been a part of the church in Rome where this was being written. Paul, desiring for his brothers and sisters whose hearts are hardening to the one true Messiah are being separated by their self-righteousness. Paul longs for them to see the truth of salvation in Jesus Christ. Paul mentions to make my fellow Jews jealous. This is a holy jealousy or envy, but not the envy you and I envision or know or experience, but an envy described well by John Scott and Timothy Keller's Romans commentary. Not all envy is tainted with selfishness because it's not always either a grudging discontent or a sinful covetedness. At base, envy is the desire to have oneself processed by another and whether envy is good or evil depends on the nature of something desired on whether one has any right to its position. If that something in itself is evil or belongs to somebody else and we have no right to it, then envy is sinful. But if something desired in itself is good, a blessing from God, which he means all people to enjoy, then to covet it and to envy those who have it is not at all unworthy. This kind of desire is right in itself and to arouse it can be a realistic motive of ministry. Paul deeply desires his fellow Jews to come to faith in Jesus by watching, being in community with, and seeing the fruits of Jesus within the Gentiles and their childlike faith. You see what I mean? Do you see what the tension is here? The mirror says, look past yourself. It says you looking in the mirror are able to experience the fullness of Jesus Christ in more ways by seeing the other side, by living with, walking with, standing with are fighting for those who aren't specifically your people or your likeness. Frankly, Paul says there should stir a jealousy of holiness we are able to emulate because we follow the one true king. So the challenge is to be exposed to the truth that you, yourself, your family, your experiences, your way of thinking, are not central. Let me say it again. The challenge is to be exposed to the truth that you, yourself, your family, your way of thinking are not central. This is deeply, deeply challenging, regardless of which side you stand on. At baseline, your line of thinking, your experiences, your truth do not fully represent God or God's people. 
So as we look into this mirror, we need to be reminded of what inclusion means. Only through Jesus can we be found. Jesus binds us to each other as a single people group, as believers that represents all of God's immaculate and perfect creation. Next, the meaning of inclusion. What Paul is trying to get both sides of the mirror to see, what is Paul trying to get both sides of the mirror to see? First, Paul is trying to get both sides to recognize their deep need for each other. And I think this is what we deeply, deeply need to hear. Paul is trying to get both sides to recognize their deep need for each other by saying in verse, now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? God has not rejected Israel, nor has he tricked them into falling after the stumble. Again, one in, verses 1 and 2 in Romans, I ask, then has God rejected his people by no means? For I, Paul, my, myself, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people, whom he foreknew. The very inclusion of the Gentiles is meant to wake his people up from a slumber of idolatry and self-righteousness based on the law. These religious folks claim to love God but failed to submit their lives to Jesus, the Son of the living God. Church, where do we need to be woken up from a slumber of self-righteousness and idolatry? Religious mere folks, your works, your knowledge, your mind cannot save you. Jesus can. Don't let self-righteousness take root in your bones so that you cannot see the beauty of salvation for every person group, every culture, and every nation. Go, find friends that don't look like you or act like you. Read and listen to viewpoints that aren't your position or view of a topic. Accept the grace Jesus has to offer and unshackle yourself from whatever measuring stick you have in your brain. Take up your cross and nail your self-righteousness to it. Modern mere folks, hear this. That's what I need to hear. This physical world, your culture, your friends, your feelings cannot save you. Jesus can. Don't let idolatry of self and self-promotion and image steal the binding and beauty of life in full obedience with Jesus Christ. And not from the ideas and trends and thoughts and new ways of life that the world offers, but look to the cross. Take up your own cross. Follow him daily and submit your will to the fathers. The word inclusion isn't a newfound buzzword that we picked up today and that we decided to discuss. It's not a word we, mean you and I, believers or church folks need to create a gif or gif or post or repost or story or screenshot or any other new word we've created to make a word or idea or way of thinking popular. Inclusion is biblical. It holds weight differently depending on context and position, but what is utterly clear from the text today and the truth of the Bible today is that salvation is available to everyone through Jesus Christ. Not one day after Jesus comes back or not back when it was more contextual to first century readers, but today, Jesus is that Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, came here to earth to walk, talk, live perfectly for all people, all humans. 
This means today, August 7th, your trans friend, your black friend, your brown friend, your white friend, your poor friend, your rich friend, your sister, your mother, your father, your nana, your papa, your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter can come to the table and pronounce Jesus as Lord over their life right now. Please don't convince yourself this is only true if, meaning, well, if they are straight or if only they are white, or if only they identify as male, female, or if only they were born on this side of the tracks, or if only they weren't self-righteous. No, Jesus saves today. Today, Jesus changed hearts. Today, Jesus heals. Today, Jesus binds us. Today, Jesus loves us, each one of us. So let me share from my side of the mirror, a white, male, cisgender, cisgender, so hopefully you can see it from your side. It's not just that everyone is welcome and included. What I'm saying is that, that when the gay person or BIPOC person or trans person comes to faith in Jesus, it teaches me more about Jesus. Their inclusion reveals more of who Jesus actually is and what his perfect and pleasing will is to me and in and it's in the spiritual transformation where I get to see what I could not before my eyes are opened where my eyes can be opened to parts of Jesus where I'm blinded where my blind spots are where I don't see where I don't have context to understand do you understand yet? I want to make sure any sinful individuality gets exposed here. The women in this room have something to teach me about Jesus. The black people in this room have something to teach me about Jesus. The children in this room have something to teach me about Jesus. The older people in this room have something to teach me about Jesus. The single people in this room have something to teach me about Jesus. The non-binary in this room have something to teach me about Jesus. So when all people, groups, cultures, and images are at the table, Jesus is on full. This message today is about inclusion and the power of Jesus' work, truth, and kingdom. The fundamental nature of inclusion is that Jesus gets better known each day so the darkness, powers, and principalities of this world are pushed back and the kingdom gets more revealed to God's people and we can have fullness in him. It's not just about you getting to learn more about your neighbor, but what gets revealed to you through Jesus Christ, the one true king. Becoming a part of Church in the Square isn't about making your identity more known in the kingdom. It's about glorifying Jesus with every ounce and fiber of your being. And this is what Paul is saying to the church in Rome 2,000 years ago. Jewish brothers and sisters needed the Gentiles to reveal Jesus in ways they could not fully understand without them being included. And the Gentiles needed, Jesus, needed Jewish brothers and sisters to expose their hearts in ways they could not without the Jewish people's inclusion. So I ask yourself, bring this question to your group, bring it home, bring it to your friends. 
Who's included in the kingdom? And can there be fullness in Christ without inclusion? So let's end. Let's end on what the Bible says, as I believe this is truly best. Inevitably, I am just a man stumbling to the grave who is bound together by grace. My feeble mind can never write or think of anything more true than what the Bible has already said. So we'll go to Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are, all, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let me pray. Gracious Father, your nature, your character is rooted in truth, beauty, and love. Lord, Heavenly Father, as we wrestle and think about what this world is and is not, we are grateful we have a word that we can go to. God, as we prepare to go out, God, and be believers and be those whom have called Jesus Lord, that we would humbly approach our fellow humans, brothers, sisters of all walks, of all statures, of all colors, that we would walk alongside them, God, as you have done to us. That we would seek them as people and see them as image bearers. Lord, you are good and gracious. Give us strength to live out your good and pleasing will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.